재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 Inviting an array of cultural luminaries to share and discuss books that have inspired and moved them Talk it up Welcome to Talk It Up. Joining us today are Becky White and Sang Park. With a Korean mother and American father, Becky has grown up with two cultures. After graduating in the U.S., she's had experiences as unique as her home background. Currently, the epitome of a freelancer, Becky models, translates, and plays guitar on her own time. Hello, Becky. Hello, everybody. Hi. Sang Pak is a Korean-American writer living in Seoul. His novel, Wait Until Twilight, has been translated into Korean under the title, Hello, Sang. Hello. So, how have you guys been? Very good. Uh-huh. Freezing. Freezing, yes. Yeah, freezing, yes. we should insert that. But otherwise, quite good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the freezing weather is actually uh, driving book sales. It is actually unsubstantiated, so I can't say that it is actually driving <laughs> book sales. Keeps people inside reading books, eh? Uh-huh, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Keeps yeah. you inside, yeah. So let's talk about um, the book for this <laughs> week. It's the kind of book that will really warm you up inside, but not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> it is called The Screw Tape Letters. Now, whose pick was it this week? So actually, I I picked this book quite a while ago. We had talked about it for a different show. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually originally picked this book because that show's concept was something a little more cheerful. Okay, that Uh sounds strange. Cheerful? (laughs) Something like inspiring. And so I don't know. I I thought at that moment Mm -hmm. this book would be great because it's like delving into the issues of the soul and maybe it would Uh help turn us around and become better people. That Uh was kind of what I was thinking. Uh Um, And well, it it isn't really that, but um, it's a great pick anyway. And C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite authors. Theoretically, it actually is. That was his purpose for writing the book, right? So theoretically, to inspire inspire and to uh, lead people to the light. Right. Oh, okay, okay. So, well, let's get right to it. Can you tell us about C.S. Lewis? I mean, he's famous for the witch and the wardrobe mm-hmm. right the, the, the chronicles of narnia is yeah. i guess yes. what he's most notable for mm-hmm. yeah, right. right right and he has written this book as well can you tell us about this writer oh uh, yeah he's a british novelist poet academic medievalist literary critic essayist lay theologian broadcaster lecturer and christian apologist it's quite a resume wait yeah. wait what was the last one the Chris- christian apologist okay what so does he's, that mean? he is famous for being christian for being a christian writer mm-hmm. uh, even though he kind of transcends that there, i mean that that doesn't limit him I, there are plenty of non-christian fans of his writing so mm-hmm. yeah and by right. apologist we don't mean someone saying sorry uh-huh. but like somebody who, who uses reason and, and logic, logic to like uh, uh, express his christian beliefs yeah, yeah. Oh, okay okay so let's talk about the uh, basic premise of this very um, heartwarming book. Ah, uh, yes. Well, the story revolves around a series of letters uh, written from a senior demon mm-hmm. named Screwtape. He's writing to his nephew, whose name is Wormwood, mm-hmm. who is a junior tempter. He's, he's <laughs> okay. learning to be a proper demon. Uh-huh. That's his title, junior tempter. Well, the <laughs> <laughs> so the uncle is trying to mentor this worm- Wormwood nephew. Uh, in the ways of uh, corrupting humans, specifically this one British man they're referring to as the patient, Mm -hmm. Uh quote-unquote. Okay, Um, so they have a very specific target in mind. Right. Wormwood is in the process of trying to corrupt the patient, and uh, Screwtape is trying to 
uh, advise him on the best way possible. How to hunt him. That's right. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. It sounds very cheesy when I'm hearing you describe it, <laughs> but when you read his writings, his style of writing is very uh, philosophical. So mm-hmm. philosophical, yeah. realistic, and like the whole idea of like the bureaucratic aspect of the whole demon system is like really unique it and is. interesting. Yeah, he's thought mm-hmm. really well through this. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, so it sounds like C.S. Lewis is um, really zeroing in on one aspect of the devil, which is to tempt um, people into doing bad things. I mean, there's other things that devils do. But well, in this case, it's specifically, I guess, uh, a demon who's using any, you know, of course, temptation is one of his main... Um, primary um, tools but like uh, there are uh, there are others yeah there's many techniques mm, yes. so okay. sneaky mm-hmm. and there's a, a very interesting little background on this book it was dedicated to uh, J.R.R. Tolkien yeah actually they were close friends J.R.R. Uh-huh. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and apparently Tolkien was quite had quite an important role in influencing C.S. Lewis's religious uh, beliefs or his way of thinking. Mm, kind of like screw tape. <laughs> Maybe in a positive way, though. <laughs> but um, yeah, so actually he dedicated this book to J.R.R. Tolkien. It was mm-hmm. originally written as a series. Uh, he would put out one letter mm. a week, I think, for a newspaper mm-hmm. or for a magazine. Right. And then it was so popular, they combined it into a book. Mm-hmm. And he dedicated that publication to J.R.R. Tolkien, right at the very front, uh-huh. who did not appreciate the gesture. Okay, so Tolkien did not appreciate <laughs> yeah, this book being he didn't really dedicated. Like it, yeah. <laughs> well, how did they meet, Tolkien and Lewis? Um, I think they both was it. They went, both went to Oxford. I think they met at school. Yeah, right? they met at school. They had an informal group of writers and thinkers, and they would just get together okay. and chat and discuss, mm-hmm. which is and, really cool. And apparently, he had a very big influence on yeah. Lewis through these conversations. Yeah, that, that was back in the day when they had like salons. <laughs> I just got together, like hung out, wearing suits and yeah. smoking cigars. Uh-huh. Oh, those were the days. <laughs> yeah. So, why would Lewis write a story about faith from the perspective of a demon, and what does that accomplish? Well, I, I think it's just. Oh, first of all, no one had done that before. I don't think, as far as I know, mm-hmm. and um, it's just amazing. His just an uncanny ability to penetrate the perspective of a demon's mind is really amazing, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, he's obviously given a lot of thought to this. Yes, mm. absolutely. And after he finished, I think he said he, he it's not something he'd want to do again. Right, he said okay. he didn't enjoy writing. Even though he churned it all out in six months, he was mm-hmm. so inspired mm-hmm. by the mm-hmm. idea, he mm-hmm. didn't enjoy it. Well, he, obviously, he had, go, he had to go to a dark place to write it. Probably. Even though the, Even though satire... I mean, if you really think about what, what the letters are about, it's quite vile and evil. If mm-hmm. you really think about what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had to go there. Right. And, uh, and, and that I, was not a fun experience I'm for sure him. it wasn't a fun experience, but he, <laughs> he succeeded and it was very effective. I mean, first off, just purely on a creative level, it's just a really excellent way to, to explore a topic. Right. Mm-hmm. To and, put uh, yourself in the mind of someone that you would normally not identify with. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and he's talking about issues that I think all people do think about at some point uh-huh. in their life. Sure, right, right. sure. And right. it's, really a, it's, it's a really sneaky way to like... Uh, Expressed his Christian beliefs in, in a non-preachy way. Yeah. Oh. Okay. You can like uh, you can like lay out these uh, <laughs> Christian ideas without like being preachy at all. Uh-huh. Actually, fun fact: there was um, a clergyman who had 
subscribed to that magazine where uh-huh. these letters would come out. And he thought that there was just a really horrible theologian giving genuine advice. Uh, okay. So he read these letters and he complained. <laughs> he wrote this really funny remark. Uh, he didn't get satire. Terrible. What right. are you doing to the people? Yeah. Uh-huh. Right, he didn't. Right. He didn't understand it. Uh, that <laughs> right. is hilarious. And of course, like it also by coming at it from the the demon's perspective, you get a really cool uh, picture of human psychology. Mm-hmm. The, the way they like he, he attacks uh, the human mind. Mm-hmm. And of course, from a kind of just a pure uh, didactic perspective, um, if his goal is to bring people to the light, of course, the whole idea of know thy enemy. So he's actually... Right, right. I mean, you can't, you can't really um, guard yourself against the vulnerabilities if you don't fully understand what the vulnerabilities That's are. That's a really good point. If you don't understand what they are and if you don't believe in that thing in the first place. Mm, yeah, that's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. Denial is never the answer. So you actually have an excerpt on God versus the devil, right, Sang? Uh, yes. Let's see. This will be good. Give a taste of C.S. Lewis's writing style. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. The difference between how God operates and how the devil operates. All right. Okay. So the uh, the excerpt is uh, well. When, when Screw Tape refers to him, he's referring to him as God. Okay. God is him. Okay. The enemy. The enemy. <laughs> now it may surprise you to learn that in his efforts to get permanent possession of a soul, he relied on the troves even more than on the peaks. Some of his special favorites have gone through longer and deeper troves than anyone else. The reason is this. To us, a human is primarily good. Our aim is the absorption of its will into ours, the increase of our own area of selfhood at its expense. But the obedience which the enemy, enemy being God, demands of men is quite a different thing. One must face the fact that all the talk about his love for men and his service being perfect freedom is not as one would gladly believe, mere propaganda, but an appalling truth. He really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself, creatures whose life, on its miniature scale, will be quantitatively like his own, not because he has absorbed them, but because their wills are free to conform to his. Okay, so one thing I noticed that kind of jumped out at me is that um, they're saying, so the devils are saying that to us a human is primarily good. Our aim is the absorption of its will into mm-hmm. ours. Whereas um, for God, he, he absorbs the people because um, their wills are free to conform his. So he's not really forcing anything. Mm-hmm. Right, well, the, from the demon's perspective, it is a kind of consumption. They are mm-hmm. kind of consuming the individual where mm-hmm. God is set, uh, nourishing them and setting them free mm-hmm. and allowing them to have free will to choose good or bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the main point he's trying to say. Yeah, right, right. Which is amazing. Like, how, like I think it's accurate. Uh-huh. Like, I, whether you believe in demons or not, like uh-huh. if you happen to do believe in demons, I think this is a very accurate depiction of what they're trying to do. Yeah, mm, right, right. And do you think it's effective in in this book that the that uh, C.S. Lewis is using the perspective of the devil to to preach, in essence? Well. Um, I guess, okay, so if you go to church, you're going to hear the same words used often, mm-hmm. right? Same kind of sermons you hear it over and over and over again. And we can easily, with any case, become deadened. Mm-hmm. I've heard it once before, I've heard it again, it's the same thing I know. I don't mm-hmm. need to learn anything new. Mm-hmm. You're like, I know what he's going to say yeah, about this. I know yeah. what's coming next. Yeah. Been there, done that. But uh-huh. C.S. Lewis, when he writes it in this style, it's, it is surprisingly refreshing. Mm. Um, and it, it does turn the topic on its head, which makes you look at yourself in a different view, mm, which is okay. always, uh, I think, a door that 
that leads to some kind of new self-awakening. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. And speaking of uh, fresh perspectives, um, there is an excerpt that you prepared, Becky, mm-hmm. that has to do with um, uh, with war and yeah. and its merits. Yeah, yeah. So we, of course, we associate war. which is terrible, mm-hmm. horrible consequences. But in this excerpt, which I'll read to you briefly, um, hold on one second, here we go. If we promoted justice and charity among men, we should be playing directly into the enemy's hands. But if we guide them to the opposite behavior, this sooner or later produces, for he permits it to produce, a war or a revolution. And the undisguisable issue of cowardice or courage awakes thousands of men from moral stupor. This, indeed, is probably one of the enemy's motives for creating a dangerous world, a world in which moral issues really come to the point. He sees, as well as you do, that courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of highest reality, a chastity or honesty or mercy which yields to danger will be chaste or honest or merciful only on conditions." Okay, so this is basically saying that God is creating war in order for moral issues to really come to the point. I mean, isn't that a bit outrageous? It's it, When you write it like that, the thing is, I don't believe he's saying God's creating war. We know that there's terrible things that happen in this world, and to blame it all on God takes all blame off humans mm-hmm. and our free will. That mm-hmm. totally limits the idea of free will if it means God's creating this war. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there is danger in our world, and danger... Out of danger, terrible things can happen, yes. But in the face of as terrible as that is, I believe on the opposite end, something as greatly good can mm-hmm. also come from that. Mm-hmm. And in those moments, we see people's true identity. Mm-hmm. Sure, and you know, war, war and violence has existed since the dawn of man. It's not, it is beyond God. It's just a, a state of like a, mm-hmm. a effect of hum, human nature. Right, I mean, it was there before Christ. Right, and um, I think what, what he's talking about is like human has this inner battle between light and dark, but mm-hmm. you don't really notice it. Like you're li- living the, the banal mundane, your banal mm-hmm. mundane life. So yeah. when a war comes around, it's like mm-hmm. an expression of that Uh, battle right. in, in reality mm-hmm. and it, what creates is this heightened reality heightened sense of reality where, where you're actually faced uh, with making decisions about good and bad courage and cowardice yeah mm-hmm. it becomes more black and white mm-hmm. and, and, and plus like war creates suffering right and suffering um, leads ultimately leads not only to uh, like a to greater feeling which creates not only more the, the possibility of empathy and compassion in an mm-hmm. individual for other, another person but right. you go even deeper and that's how you, basically you can kind of connect to God mm, through suffering okay. itself mm-hmm. okay that's a that's a great way to see it I mean I, I definitely don't condone producing more suffering for the sake of enlightenment no, no. but that that is the effect of, of a lot of profound yeah. suffering you you become very spiritual yeah, right well I you know with, with suffering like if, if you see suffering as like getting bombed and mm-hmm. um It creates these valleys and canyons. That is like the container for deeper feeling. And that's right, why people right. who have suffered oftentimes mm-hmm. are more enlightened, they're, they're, enlightened, more they're wiser, more compassionate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Well, the next topic we would like to discuss is a little bit lighter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's an excerpt that you have prepared once again, Becky, that has to do with gluttony, one of the seven deadly sins, right? Can you tell us about okay, that? Okay, well, it's not specific. The quote I have is not specifically to gluttony, but yes, mm-hmm. that is one of the examples. I think when we think about gluttony, we're like, oh, well, eating a lot of food, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but even something as small as that 
can lead us into dangerous places. Okay. So anyway, this quote can uh, covers not just gluttony, but a lot of those smaller sins, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Okay. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Okay, I think that that is a very accurate depiction <laughs> of what happens to every New Year's resolution yes. ever set. <laughs> so it says, um, edge the man away from the light mm-hmm. and out into the nothing, not push or thrust the man right. away from the light. We'll be too aware of that. Okay. That's too obvious. Yeah. Well, saying, can you think of any any examples where where this happens, like whether in your life or in society? In so- well, one of the things that uh, C.S. Lewis touched on regarding gluttony was uh, the fact that there's a kind of modern gluttony, which is delicacy, mm-hmm. oh, which okay. is the uh, well, the, and going beyond delis- delicacy, this whole need, constant need for novelty, mm-hmm. something new, mm-hmm. and how that can lead to a kind of inner corruption. Right, right. And you notice, with like, like when it comes to like uh, delic- delicacy, as in food, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the whole idea of del- delicacy as food turns people into uh, t- makes people mean a lot. Uh, elite, they're elitist. They're, they're, mm-hmm. They become snobbish. They mm-hmm. become, you know, it's, it's all about their ego. I mean, mm-hmm. it definitely leads to darker things. Are that- you picturing avocado toast right now? <laughs> <laughs> Arugula. 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 <laughs> you guys are such gluttons. <laughs> What about you? What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think it's true. Um, I, as myself, like you mentioned in my um, intro, I do model. And so Uh it it can easily come from, instead of managing myself to be the best I can, it can easily tip into that, well, I need just the right amount. No, I need just the right price, right? And Mm -hmm. it it really burdens other people. Mm -hmm. And it makes yourself kind of arrogant, thinking I deserve the best uh-huh. um, yeah and when we get into that narrow mind it's, it's very easy to take the next step forward to become meaner or more arrogant mm-hmm. yeah right 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 well um, let's look at the next um, topic that, that we would like to bring up there's a, a difference between being humble and having little self-esteem and I think uh, the line between humbleness and having little self-esteem is often blurred mm-hmm. um, in society and you actually have um, looked at you, you had something to say about this right Becky? I did well that was another quote of mine I won't mm-hmm. read the whole thing Okay, um, but I think we all can relate to this, especially when I think about this sense of humility uh, for women. Beautiful women, a lot of times, will constantly say, no, I'm not beautiful. No, Mm -hmm. I don't look good. I look bad, right? Because they think that's being humble. That's false modesty. I do think it's false modesty. That's Uh another term. Uh Yeah. And so we have that. Or um, people who are very smart will put themselves down as fools because they don't want to look better than others. And this line between what true humility is and then that self-modesty, false modesty, Mm. right, is I think to truly appreciate your capabilities, to grow your capabilities to the best you can, but you are no better than anyone else because they also have their capabilities, which Mm. they are good in. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the person who's truly humble one doesn't think look how humble i am but somebody who can appreciate a great work of art they've created Uh right with the full appreciation as if someone else made it as well and without any jealousy and without looking down 
on somebody else. And if that was the case, we would have a lot of people who are greatly talented and we could all appreciate it openly. Mm -hmm. So um, Becky's definition of of humility is full appreciation of oneself without looking down on other people. What is your idea of humility, Sang? I would see it more as... um a kind, not only uh, an equality with one's peers, mm-hmm. but also uh, recognizing one's, I wouldn't say insignificance, but... Uh, Your flaws? Uh, more like a perspective of like, you are part of something much greater. Mm-hmm. And in okay. that sense, mm-hmm. it can create a sense of, I think, humility, where mm-hmm. uh, in a weird way, it creates a kind of... Uh, I think humility is a very powerful thing actually yes mm-hmm. and I think it's, so uh, too. it's a very gentle powerful feeling that mm-hmm. um in a, in a weird way liberating realizing that you're a small part of something much bigger mm-hmm. right right so it's like accepting your limitations but also realizing that you are um you you actually have the power because you're part of something bigger and that that big thing is part of you you're part of it and that's so, right that's yeah, right right, right. Mm-hmm. okay now let's move on to the uh, next thing I wanted to bring up, which is the four causes of laughter. You brought this up, saying, right? Can mm-hmm. you tell us about it? Four causes of laughter. Sure. Well, according to Lewis, there are four causes of laughter, and those causes are joy, fun, the joke proper, and flippancy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So joy and and fun. I think I can understand what what those are. So joy, joy as in like. The happy feeling that you get when you're holding a baby, fun, as in like something is <laughs> exciting and uh-huh. fun, like a game is fun, a movie is fun. What is joke proper and what is flippancy? Well, well, it, what's interesting about that is, you know, you, you refer to, uh, you're talking about joy. And it's, what's interesting is that in, in the letters, in these letters, is that the uh, when Screw Tape talks about uh, laughter from joy, he talks about how the fact that demons don't understand what that means, like where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is interesting. That is interesting. Okay. Right? <laughs> yeah. Something they, they can't really comprehend. Um, I would interpret it as uh, like a, a kind of laughter that comes from like a deep connection with people. Um, that would be my interpretation. And fun, uh, demons recognize that as a kind of natural playfulness in, in humans, mm-hmm. a, a natural desire mm-hmm. to play. Yeah. But as far as the joke proper goes, that's a joke that's meant to kind of invoke a kind of negative emotion, whether it's lust or uh, prejudice uh-huh. or s- some kind of negative emotion. And whereas flippancy is um, this idea of creating uh, a ridicule around almost anything, whether it's virtuous or good, and kind of degrading it to a kind of uh, I would, I, what I would call a, a cheap form of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, which I have a little quote here where he says, if prolonged, the habit of uh, flippancy builds up around a man uh, like the finest, uh, finest armor plating against the enemy, God, that I know. And it is away from, uh, it is away from joy. It deadens instead sharpening the intellect and it excites no affection between those who practice it. Mm, okay, so to, to give you a, a little um, summary of what you just said, it sounds like the joke is something that is meant to be mean-spirited. You said invoke um, negative emotion. And flippancy is um, ridiculing things in general. So it kind of pushes you away from being sincere. Right, right, mm-hmm. and and mocking anything for the sake of humor, right, even right. even if it's ah, a good okay. thing or a uh-huh. virtuous thing. Right, right, right. What are your thoughts on this? Are you are you a fan of flippancy or jokes? Well, you know, okay, this is not exactly considering jokes, but I think it captures the idea behind it. Um, if we look at something like The Simpsons, 
okay? Mm-hmm. Or we'll look at something like Beethoven's Greatest Symphony. Which of those two would you consider a higher pleasure? Right? I think they're both pleasurable. So the thing is, right, we can uh-huh. say that easily. We can say, oh, they're both pleasurable. We uh-huh. all like watching The Simpsons. We all listen to Beethoven, mm-hmm. I guess. But I think we have, if we really consider the human mind and things that we find as complex and enjoyable, we will look at something that's taken thought into consideration, something that's taken time to create. Mm-hmm. And I think we do all appreciate that. Beethoven's Symphony probably over The Simpsons, even mm-hmm. though we like to watch The Simpsons and just laugh, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Because we do enjoy that kind of flippancy. Right, right. Um, So in this case, we have flippancy versus joy. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there is a greater depth to joy. And we do mm-hmm. know that, but the more and more we just make silly jokes or negative mm-hmm. jokes, the right, easier right. it is to fall into that. Right. I think uh, we can all agree that in the year 2017, since we, we just had our second new year, the That's lunar right. new year, we will fill ourselves, we'll fill our lives mm-hmm. with more joy and fun yeah. versus joke proper and flippancy. But, but, but I think there is a tendency, I think, I think culturally, especially Western culture, is, is moving towards flippancy. Mm-hmm. It is heading towards yeah, that. Yeah. Well, well, I think it is up to you, Sang Park and Becky White, to reverse <laughs> the, the course of humanity. Yes. And, yes. And, we'll and, do that. yes, and move us toward joy and fun instead. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time, but thank you so much, Sang and Becky, for coming in today. Yes, of Thanks. course. And I'll see you again soon. Goodbye, everyone. Coming up next is Must Read Korean Book with Sarah Kwan. But here's Bob Marley, Redemption Song. Merchant ships.